we're in a series entitled The Radical Zone. And we're talking about moving away from mediocre commitment to being all in for God and uh, being fully committed to the Lord in every way in our lives. And you know, that to many Christians is when they hear this, particularly in the West and even in America, they like, what? What do you mean being fully committed? I mean, I, I'm a Christian. My, my grandmother was a Christian for heaven's sakes. Yeah, but here's the thing. Most Americans and most people in the West don't even realize how lukewarm Christianity has become. We look around and we say, we're doing about the same as all the other Christians, everybody else I know that's a Christian, so we must be okay. And uh, I, I want to ask you this question in this series, and I keep asking it. What would it look like if believers were to become totally committed to Christ? What would that look like? Our desire to be accepted by everyone makes us think that we can kind of drift, you know, it's a slow fade anyway, in the direction everybody else has taken and we then will kind of fit right in. But what we don't realize is they are held back from going over the edge by the dynamic tension that is exerted in love, of course, just us being who we are as the children of God. We kind of keep things from going too far. We're the salt of the earth, to, to phrase it as Jesus did, the light of the world. And um, we're leaven that will end up preserving and changing the nature of culture. But of late, it's very easy for culture to change the church if we aren't careful. And for believers to come to the point that they actually feel that is okay. And that's not good. And I want to read a text to you in the Old Testament that shows where that actually occurred. First Kings 17, 1 through 7. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, that's the first thing, God lives. Somebody shout that, God lives. There is a God, he's alive. Amen. Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, that's breakfast, and bread and meat in the evening, that's supper, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Father God, I pray that you will open your word to our understanding today and for the next few minutes. Lord, let me hide behind the cross and let your glory, your word, be revealed to us. You speak. And Lord, if you can, use this feeble instrument and please touch our hearts and minds and help us to receive from your word the truth that can set humanity free. Indeed, that has set us who know you free and waits to set the rest of those in bondage free as well. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. I want to speak to you 
this morning from the subject, Trusting God's Will in Difficult Times. I'm going to make an assumption based upon my own experience and what I've observed in life that it's pretty easy to trust God when everything is going well. But what about in difficult times? Israel was in an extraordinarily difficult season. To understand why, you need to know about three people. Elijah the Tishbite, King Ahab, who was king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and his queen, Queen Jezebel. God used Elijah the prophet, who was a true man of God, to speak to the political authority of his day, which was Ahab and Jezebel. And... You need to also understand this, that Ahab was actually quite a weak individual. His wife, Jezebel, pretty much told him everything he needed to do. And what is sad about that, it was a political marriage. And she was from a group that was not even of the nation of Israel. And she was a devoted worshiper of the the Canaanite deity named Baal. A lot of folks think that an idol is nothing more than wood or stone. That's all it was in the Old Testament, they believe. And that people worshipped idols because they were uneducated and superstitious. What they don't realize is, is that the Bible teaches that those idols literally represented in the earthly dimension something that did exist in the spiritual dimension. And there were demonic entities that they stood for. Baal was one of the most hideous of all. Together, Ahab and Jezebel led the political system that refused to acknowledge Yahweh as the one true God. And uh, the, the tragedy with that is, is that political systems are a tool and they can be used to be a great blessing when they promote order and preserve righteousness and justice, but they can also be a great tool for evil when they enshrine And promote wickedness. Because Ahab and Jezebel would not heed the word of God. They moved away from God. Can you see this? They, They moved out from position under the covering that God had placed over the nation of Israel. The covering of his grace and supernatural favor. Absolutely nothing functions correctly without God as a vital component of it. Seek ye first the kingdom. There's a reason the scripture teaches us that. But not even nature will work right if God is excluded because he created it. The heavens were shut up as a result of Israel being away from God's favor. And for three and a half years, it did not rain. There was severe drought throughout the land. And it was horrific. There were terrible famines. That went throughout the land and continued to ravage the countryside. There was unbelievable difficulty. Families struggled. They literally resorted to cannibalism. When I tell you that times were difficult, they were difficult even for God's children. When power refuses to listen to divine authority. When political systems ignore the God that set all of this up. That has entrusted it into the hands of men to take care of it. Hardship inevitably will be the result. And even we as believers are suffered, are are, are affected and we suffer because we live in this world. And one reason for that is 
When believers suffer, they have a tendency to get engaged again. And you have to hear what I'm saying. Instead of standing back as non-participants in the whole affair, they have a tendency to re-engage and begin to pray. And that's important because prayer moves God to act. And when if God, if God gets ready to do something, he will set people to pray. That's what he does every time. And it would be a whole lot better if in the highs of, and lows of life, when we go through these peaks and valleys, these peaks when we're doing well, the valleys when we're not, if we would learn to maintain a constant level of commitment. Because what happens is, is that if we don't, the bottom just keeps getting deeper and deeper until finally we hit a bottom where we say, I can't live this way anymore. And we engage, we begin to pray. And whatever that might look like. And if you think I'm talking politics because the election is just a couple of weeks away, I need you to understand. I don't get involved in all of that kind of stuff. I preach the principles of this book right here. Amen. But you say, well, why don't you call out a particular party? Because that's all I would ever do on either side of the equation. And you need to know that that we as the family of God need to be able to speak to whatever party is in power and call them back to an adherence to obedience to this book. Elijah the Tishbite was from a place called Tishbe in Galilee, or Gilead, I should say. It was only 46 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. Now, we all know that the Pacific Ocean is the largest ocean in the world. But how many of you knew that the Mediterranean is the largest sea in the world? It is. Where Elijah lived was also only 22 miles from the Sea of Galilee, a very large body of fresh water with a surface area that stretches over 64 square miles. It is also quite deep and contains, and I looked it up, approximately 25 million cubic meters of fresh water. That is 6.6 billion gallons of water. Even to this day, Israel draws part of their fresh water, their drinking water from the Sea of Galilee. Additionally, Tishbe, once more, that's where Elijah was from, the Tishbite. It was only 13 miles away from the mighty Jordan River, a river that at certain times of the year would overflow its banks and flood the countryside. Now to get to the brook of Cherith, which is where God told him to go in our text, the prophet Elijah literally had to pass by the Jordan River on his way. I said all of that to show you this and gave you the background information in terms of the geography to point out there were a number of much larger bodies of water that were nearer to where he was than the tiny insignificant brook to where God was sending him. Compared to them, the brook Cherith was practically non-existent. A powerful river like Jordan, a great sea like Galilee, a mighty sea like the Mediterranean was immeasurably more significant to human history than was this little tributary. Yet, it is to this brook Cherith that God sends the man of God to hide and promises to sustain him. Everybody say this word with me, there. Come on, say it out loud, there. Until the time came for him to confront demonic authority. 
Now, this is early on in the famine. And there are a couple of things I need to tease out of this text. Number one is that it was not time yet. And you know why it wasn't time for God to address these things yet? Israel hadn't begun to pray yet. They hadn't hit that bottom. I think we can raise the bottom as it were. If we would just learn to pray and be constant in our commitment to the Lord God Almighty and in our service and in our worship to him. The second thing that I want to point out is we don't always understand God's choices, do we? No, think about it. I mean, he sends him to this brook. Why did he pass Jordan? Why did he pass the Sea of Galilee? Why didn't he go in the direction of the Mediterranean? There were all kinds of places he could have gone. You see, but we could say the same thing about many of God's choices. God could have chosen to save someone better than me. He could have chosen to have someone speaking this morning more gifted than I am, with greater talent, with more articulation, who was much smarter, but I'm so glad that God chose me. You see, God's choices might not always be decisions we understand, but thank God in my case, he made the one he did. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. And another thing I would point out is that we like big. Don't we? Especially here in Texas, right? You know what I mean. Go big or go home. Amen. That's what we say. We like big blessings. We like big miracles. We like big answers to prayer. But the brook Cherith was very small. And I want to point this out. God doesn't have to do the biggest thing for it to be the best thing. Somebody give God a praise break right now and think about that. Doesn't have to be the biggest thing for God to be the best thing. Think about it. You might not have the biggest family, but it's your family. And you might not have the biggest opportunity, but it's your opportunity and it's got your name on it. And you might not have the biggest blessing, but you're sure glad that you got it. And you might not have the biggest ministry or the biggest title, but aren't you glad that God positioned you where he positioned you? Amen. Amen. Might not be the biggest door either that God is opening for you. But if it's the door that God is opening, I want you to know it's going to be a lot better than some of the other doors you've been knocking on because his door is always the right one. Amen. And what we need to learn to do is say, I'm right in the middle of the will of God. I am, and by being where he sent me, my provisions and my deliverance, oh, you got to hear what I'm saying, are going to show up before it's all over with because I am in the right place for God to send a miracle my direction. This is where my blessing has been postmarked for delivery, not by UPS or FedEx, but by the angels of God Almighty. I'm not looking for Amazon. I'm looking for God to show up in my life and do something that's going to forever place my life ahead. The question is, is that God sometimes chooses a brook cherith, a little bitty thing to show up and show out. And we, we say, uh, 
I passed the Jordan on the way here. What about the Sea of Galilee, Lord? God says, no, this is where I've postmarked your blessing to be delivered. Now here, I I, want to get real with you. The question in life, if you want to know how to thrive in times of difficulty, this is the question you're going to have to find an answer to. How can I be content with what I think is less when I was expecting more? How can I let go the steering wheel and let God direct me? Oh, that's a big one. Principle number one, supernatural provision is always connected to you being in the right place. That's the center of the will of God. You don't thrive on the outside of the will of God. You thrive in the middle of obedience to his will. God said, go to the brook Cherith. That's where I will sustain you. Now, here's what you need to know. Nobody else knew Elijah was there. It's real easy to feel like you're being forgotten and overlooked because nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody sees where I'm laboring. Nobody gets what I'm doing. There is one that sees and he's the one that really matters. He knows what's going on. He didn't forget where he assigned you. God did not forget where he assigned you. Amen. Listen, he knows where you are And that's where he's going to send the ravens to look for you. Not over here. He's going to send them right there. Not back there. He's going to send them right there. Amen. Hear what I'm saying. That is what makes the distinction and the difference between people who chase blessings and people that have blessings chasing them. Deuteronomy 28 verse 2 said, all these blessings shall overtake. I want you to change the pronoun in there and say, all these blessings shall overtake me. Come on, say it out loud. All these blessings shall. Who? They're going to overtake me. I don't have to chase them. They're already chasing me. I've been chasing them in the wrong place. They'll chase me if I get in the right place. Amen. I love what Pastor Andrew says about this. He says, God's will is God's bill. (laughs) Love it. Amen. Because your will is your bill. That's the opposite corollary of that. Your will is your bill. We get in our will, we have to pay. Amen. Your provisions, and this is the other thing, your provisions are going to show up when you get there. Because before God spoke to Elijah, he said to the ravens, you go feed the prophet by the brook Cherith. How do I know that? Because he told Elijah, I have already commanded the ravens to sustain you there. Amen. Your provisions show up when you show up. Oh, because you figured out what that means already. You don't show up. You got ravens flying around. Like, where, where? God sent me here. I'll just keep flying me. Amen. 
Principle number two, sometimes the right place can actually seem like the wrong place. God led Israel out of Egypt into the one of the most harsh desert environments that exist on the face of this planet. And according to Hosea, he did so, and I quote, to speak comfortably to them. Comfortably to them. He wanted to show them his often power, his greatness, the great love he had for them. Where? The middle of the harsh Arabian desert where they receive a total accumulation of rainfall of only one inch over a 10 year period. That is the single worst place you would think for people to go to. And yet that's where God led Israel when they came out of Egypt. It was blistering hot. There were poisonous vipers. There was no shade. Nothing could live there. Guess what, Houstonians? There were no taco trucks. No barbecue stands. And it hurts my Cajun soul to say it, but there was no etouffee or gumbo there either. Amen. But it was the right place. Tell somebody the right place can look like the wrong place. Would you do that? I'm preaching to somebody right now. I feel it. God's talking to somebody. You might not feel like you're in the right place. Dare I say it? Oh, Lord, help me. Look at your neighbor and say, now, now he's getting ready to talk to us. Would you do that? Well, really you and not me, but I mean, amen. Is there somebody who feels like they're not in the right marriage? Oh, I felt that one. Hear what I'm trying to tell you. God can sometimes speak to us and we think we're in the wrong place. God, I, I, I don't think that was you at all, God, but it's been the divine principle throughout the pages of, of God's relationship with mankind is revealed in, in his word. If you don't believe me, look at Psalms 23. He said, he has prepared me a table in the presence of what? My enemies. I'm going the other way. My enemies are here. God said, go towards your enemies. Why? Because when God shows up, he likes to show out. He likes to have an audience. He likes for somebody to have a testimony. He likes to do something that makes the enemy confounded and confused. I'm preaching to somebody that's on the verge of a breakthrough in their life. You are in the right place. Hallelujah. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can pray right through the middle of that desert place. It's it's terrible. It's a horrible place that I'm in. It's bad enough. I might even resort to prayer. Amen. Amen. No, pray through those highs and those lows that I talked about. Those cyclical patterns of life. And watch what God will do. You see, God doesn't like to bless you unless you've got a few of of your enemies around so he can show you that you're his favorite child. Amen. And show them in the process. 
Hey, 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 have you considered my, my, my child here? Hallelujah. That's what he did with Job. In the presence of your enemies, God will do things for you that he will never do if you choose the path of least resistance in life. But conversely, not only can the right place seem like the wrong place, the wrong place can seem like the right place. Oh, Columbus thought he was in the right place. Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492, thought he had landed in America, in India rather. Instead, he was in the West Indies. He was the opposite side of the planet from where he thought he was. There was no GPS, no map to go by. Amen. The wrong place can actually convince you it is the right place. That's why you need, dare I say it, a map. You also need GPS. You know what that is? God positioning satellite. You need God to speak to you. You need to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the voice of your heavenly father. Amen. Moving on. I'm almost done. Principle number three, provisions that are supernatural are always tied to purpose. Sometimes we overlook this fact, don't we? And we want God to bless us so we can have more money to buy a bunch of stuff we'll never use. Impress people who don't like us. And will hate us more when we drive that new car in the driveway. Amen. You know what causes us to be that self-centered? It's when we see ourselves as containers of God's blessings rather than as conduits of God's blessings. God wants to flow through you. Can somebody say that? God flow through me. God bless me that I can be a blessing. That's what he told Abraham. I'm going to bless you and make you become a blessing. That's a divine principle. If you want to see God open heaven over your life, learn to get involved in something bigger than you are. And don't try to become a container. You know what I mean. God bless me and my four. None of the rest. In fact, poison the rest. Put a lid on it and I'll sit on the lid to make sure nobody gets any extra. But me, no, don't do that. Learn to be a blessing, amen, to other people. And then principle number four, God can use the unusual to fulfill his objectives. Yes, he can, things you would never think about. I wanna challenge you. God can develop strategies that never come into our mind because as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far his ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. He called for the Raven Catering Company. To come take care of the prophet Elijah in the middle of the the wilderness at a little brook. And what blows my mind about that is not only would Elijah never have thought about ravens delivering his meal because he was Jewish. He probably, unless God told him, would not have allowed them to deliver his meal. I don't know what they did because I do know this. Ravens are carrion eaters. They eat dead things. 
And for that reason, in Deuteronomy 14, 11 through 14, God told his people, ravens are unclean birds. They were not to have anything to do with them. And then God turns around. Watch it now. God's smooth. And he commanded unclean birds employed by the Raven Catering Company to go bring Elijah breakfast and supper. I don't know if they had to wrap it five times or what they did. All I know is God used what was supposed to be a source that you would never expect blessings to come from to be the means whereby the prophet was sustained. I'm telling you that in the middle of the will of God, God will make your enemies become your biggest promoters and he will cause the man fighting you to be the reason you get the next elevation on your job. I'm talking to somebody that needs to understand that God can turn the strategies of the enemy around. Yes, he can. The very experience that hit you in the pit of the stomach and took your breath away and that made you feel like life was over. Maybe the experience that launches you into a brand new level of ministry that God has designed for you. Don't count yourself out yet. The ravens are coming. The ravens are coming. Hallelujah. God will make Balaam come. Did did it ever, ever make you wonder why that God said, don't you dare, dare curse those people when Balak sent for for Balaam? And then, you know, you read the the rest of the story, you will find that, that Balaam actually asked God, should I go? And God said, go. Why? You never, never noticed that, did you? Why did God say go after he already told them you can't curse the people of God? Because God has a way of letting what the enemy speaks over you for evil be turned into words of blessing. So if somebody cusses you, just keep on smiling because God knows how to process that. You meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good. The God that we serve will cause your life to be blessed. With the participation of unusual sources of help. And I love it. That story about Moses always blesses me. Does it bless you? Pharaoh said, kill every male child two years of age and under. And one person survived that. Did you realize when Moses was 40 years old and it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel, he was the only 40-year-old Hebrew male alive. All the others had been killed. At the age of two, His mother puts him in a little basket and sets him to float in the Nile River. And God moves. I love this. My God, how he works. God moves Pharaoh's daughter. She's going down to the Nile River to worship because the Nile was one of their gods, their deities. And she is there 
we always think it was just to take, quote, a bath. No, it was a religious observance. And so she shows up and she worships this God at the Nile River, this demonic entity. And God sends an angel who pinches Moses. He's too comfortable in that basket. He's been rocking to sleep on his waterbed. And so, you know, the angel pinches him and he cries and, and Pharaoh's daughter hears that and it awakens the maternal instinct in her. Don't you love it? And she says, bring him. I'm going to take him home. And her nursemaid said, but yeah, you know what your daddy said? We got to kill him. Not this one. You're not. And then she looks around and said, is there anybody that can be a nurse for him? And Miriam pops out of the bushes and says, I know a lady and goes and gets Moses mother. And they pay her to do what she was already doing. The God that I serve can make ravens feed you. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'm sorry. I'm having more fun than I'm supposed to this morning. Hallelujah. Principle number five. Don't allow what happens to you after you hear from God to make you think you heard God incorrectly. Elijah goes to the brook, but then the brook dries up. And what would you and I do in that situation? Probably the same thing Elijah did. I wonder if I heard God right the first time. Maybe he did say Mediterranean. Let's see. Cherith, Mediterranean. No, no, it doesn't quite sound anything alike. Jordan, no, it doesn't sound the same. Gatna, I don't know what's going on. Did I hear God correctly? When you have made a commitment to the will of God, live by your commitment to the will of God. Don't allow the mediocrity of the world around you to make you back up from your commitment to what God has said. Can somebody in the building say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your brook can dry up, but I've got news for you and I'm done. Musicians, where are you? Come on back. This is what you need to know. Even though the brook dried up, there is nowhere in the Bible that said the ravens stopped coming. You didn't hear that. There's nowhere in the book that said the ravens didn't continue to come. God's not going to make everything dry up at one time. God will sustain you through the transition to your next miracle. If you will trust him and keep on believing, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. He won't allow everything to fall apart at the same time. Who am I talking to that's going through a rough patch right now? God's not going to allow everything to fall apart. You may be saying the world's coming to an end like Chicken Little, but it's not. It's just a brook drying up. God's got your next steps already laid out. Woo. Was that even God I heard? You'll ask yourself all of these questions. Was that God I heard? Amen. I love what Henry Blackaby says. Because these days, you, because of the so-called neo-atheists, the Richard Dawkins, the Sam Harris's, the Lawrence Krauss's, and some of the others, 
People are almost afraid to say, I think God told me. Now, let me preface that. I don't like for folk to go around all the time saying, God told me, God told me, God. You know, if they come in, pastor, God told me to do this. Now, what do you say about it? I say, time out. I'm not God. (laughs) What do you expect me to do? You just told me God told you. And I'm sitting there thinking that wasn't God at all. (laughs) Amen. But I can't tell you that. Amen. But people are almost afraid to say that they think they've heard from God. And the the proper proper model that I always like to use here, even when I'm praying for people and I feel like the Lord is showing me something personal for them, I always like to say, this is what I think I hear the Lord saying. Does this resonate with you? Does this mean anything to you? I've seen people get way out on that limb before. You know, kind of like that prayer line I told you all about years ago. Man praying for people, prophetic voices prophesying over these people. And there was a lady that came up and said, thus saith the Lord, God is sending you to India to be a missionary. And then the man behind her, thus saith the Lord, God sending you to China to be a missionary. And the man said, wait a minute, that's my wife you just sent to India to be a missionary. And he said, let me pray. Oh, Lord. He said, thus saith the Lord, correction, I'm sending both of you to Indochina to be missionary. Don't get yourself in trouble like that. Praise God. But I believe that God still speaks today. He does. Henry Blackaby asked this question. Why is it that when we talk to God, it is called prayer? But when he talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. Stand with me. Don't forget, I'm meeting our first time attendees and guests right over here. Please come. I'd love to meet you. We have a gift for you too. I'll make your visit here memorable. If I've not had a chance to meet with you yet, you're welcome to come, even if you've been coming here a number of times. Every head bowed. Now, prayer counselors are please taking their places at the front right now. Prayer counselors, would you come? There's somebody in this building that needs Christ in their life. And I'm going to give two altar calls this morning. The first, right where you are, raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me you're talking to. I need Jesus. Would you raise your hand all over the building? God bless you and you and you. And keep raising them. And you, I see your hands. God bless you. Keep raising them. I see you and you and you. God bless you. Keep raising them. Whole families, keep raising your hands. Amen. And if you're at home online watching this, driving through the streets of our city or wherever you may be and you're hearing this. I want to pray for you too, just right where you are. You can raise your hand in your car and say, I need Jesus. I don't want to do this by myself anymore, Lord. I'm tired of hitting these abysmal lows and then having to pray my way out of them. I'd rather pray right on through the middle of it. Rather see you intervene before I have to hit rock bottom. With your head bowed, Father, I pray for every one of these that just prayed, lifted their hands to signify their intention, that they need you in their life, come into their hearts, save them. I'm asking you right now to write their names in the book of life. Let this be the beginning of an incredible journey and experience as they become more and more committed to you and 
become stronger in their convictions and understanding of the word of God and become more like you in their lives. I ask it. We ask for your forgiveness for our sins because you're so merciful and gracious to forgive us of our sins. We don't want to live without you, Lord. We love you so much. And everybody said, amen. Let's welcome those that just prayed that prayer in their first steps in the body of Christ. Come on, let's have a party for a moment. Can't hear you. Let's have a party. Amen. 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 I want to thank you. On the screen behind me, they're going to put up some information. There will be a QR code. And there will also be a phone number you can text to about things like salvation, baptism, uh, prayer requests. Um, We would love for you to... Get in touch with us. We want to get to know you better. And um, I ask you to do three things. I ask you to get water baptized, as the scripture teaches us. Number two, I ask you to be filled full of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that you may live the Spirit-empowered life. And number three, I ask you to become a devoted disciple. And how do you do that? They're going to put on the screen right now this one word, join. And that word, join, if you'll just text join to that number, I write a daily devotional that you can read every day and join with several thousand other believers and families at this point. And it um, doesn't cost you a thing. And you can go to the same place every day that we all go to and many others. And you can pray and begin with a Bible reading and a worship song and a word of, from me about that verse. And now this is what I want to do. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you. A bait is no good unless it has a hook in it. If you're fishing. I'm going to ask you. How many of you in this building. Will step forward and say pastor count on me. I want to live the rest of my life in the radical zone. I want to be fully committed. I don't want to be, I don't want to buy into this whole watered down thing that's going on in the world right now in terms of Christianity. Come, come forward if you would. If you would. Come, come join me. Come join me. Amen. Let's make a, a, a rededication, all of us. Just rededicate ourselves to being wholly committed and sold out to God. Don't let somebody that's living a watered-down life determine the level of your commitment to the Lord Jesus. Move in close because we're going to pray. Hallelujah. 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 Don't you love the Lord? Just look at somebody and say, the ravens are coming. Did you know that? Uh, I say, I'm talking about for me. The ravens are coming. Ravens are on their way. Amen. They've already located me on Google Maps. They're on their way right now. Amen. And you know where I'm at? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm in church on Sunday morning at Inspired Church. Praise God. Praise God. Not everybody can get down here. But I really think everyone would like to be able to say, Lord, let that person that is totally 
committed be me. There shouldn't be a father in this place that doesn't pray that about their family. About themselves so they can lead their family. Remember what I told you? That dynamic tension that exists because we plant our feet while the rest of the world is in a slow fade. We keep them from going over the edge. Let me show you what happens when we don't do that. When we slide their direction because we want to fit in, they slide more. And then we step over here so we'll fit in. And they slide even more. You know one reason that we see drift generationally in the church is because parents go through that process that I just described. Instead of planting their feet and say, we're going to stand right here. This is, now, I'm not talking about that whole mean thing that I grew up with in the SEAL team of religion. I'm not talking about that. You know, you're going to hell. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. That's not what I'm talking. I'm not having that. that that's not our heart. But can you just lift your hands and say, God, help me to lead my family. Help me to live my life fully committed, totally sold out to you. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know the treasures of darkness. I want to know the treasures of your Holy Spirit. I want to grow in you like I've never grown. And I want you to use me to help preserve this world that I live in. The enemy can't have my family. He can't have my children. He can't have my marriage. He can't have my home. He can't have my neighborhood. He can't even have Halloween day anymore. We're taking that back. taking it back. 